0: we built this inside of Salesforce because for us, the whole sales engine is Salesforce. Well, Salesforce doesn't do revenue recognition. Um, Salesforce doesn't just connect to accounting systems, especially from a financial flow standpoint. Um, To do all of this in Salesforce, you have to customize it and spend a fortune paying third parties to build all this stuff for you. So we said, well, what if we productize that? What if we give you a product that you can install that connects the dots that you can still tweak and change how you want, but out of the gate, like it's connected. It, it does this whole process. It creates visibility and transparency across the organization. One of the other thing it does is it normalizes the, the data, if you will, meaning what your sales team is doing matches with what your finance team is doing. And what your finance team is doing matches with what your sales team is doing. So now you have a source of truth to understand really what's happening, but also, especially in times like this, an automation flow.
1: Hello, and welcome to Fireside with the VC. My name is Andrew Romans. And today we're with Brandon Metcalf, founder and CEO of Place Technologies full disclosure, one of our portfolio companies. And uh, we're going to talk about what the company does, RevOps, which is revenue operations, which essentially is revenue forecasting and cash management for software as a service companies. So software as a service companies is not as obvious as it may sound, how the money is coming in and how it's not coming in and when it comes in. And I'll say that the number one cause of death and my many years of being in the startup world as an operator and a venture capitalist is running out of money. So running out of cash is the number one cause of death. That may sound like it's not a super genius insight, but let me tell you: um, when I went and became an investor, I was quite shocked to back boys that looked like they knew what they were doing and girls that looked like they knew what they were doing and saying, "Ooh, big shock, Andrew. We need more money from you because we're out of money and we somehow." Uh, don't understand how to balance our checkbooks and it gets very complicated as a saAS company as brandon is an expert and could talk about so we felt compelled to invest in the company and we've invested more than once and uh, uh, right now they've got a round open I think they're left a little bit of the round open for we funder investors and we're going to talk about we're going talk about why it makes sense to if you're funded by VCS to bring in more investors on the cap table and create more of a ecosystems of support orbiting around the company. Um, and we're also going to take a deep dive on Salesforce. So Brendan Metcalf is an expert, 20 year plus veteran of working with Salesforce as a company, building on their force.com platform um, and um, using them as a way of growing a business very, very quickly, um, as well as internationally. So Brendan, great to see you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks, Andrew. Glad to be here. Lots to talk about. Yeah, lots to talk about. So let's dive in. I mean, I guess a quick background on who we are for, since this is kind of uh, reaching out to the WeFunder folks, um, I was an operator for many years, all tech startups, raised over $300 million, had an IPO, had an M&A, have put a companies into ABC administration for the benefit of creditors, which is like sure, Sherwood, the Grim Reaper coming. So I've seen good, bad and ugly in my days. Um, so if things are going bad, I might be a little bit useful. Not just a guy who everything I did was a raging IPO, although we had one good one. IPO and a pretty damn good uh, M&A exit. Um, I've been a VC now for you know well over a decade, and we've made over 100 investments. And you know most funds are happy with a, a 1.5 to 3x, 4x. And that's great when you have a billion-dollar fund. We've been in the 7x and 10x range. So we're in the kind of top 10, 12% of all. Venture capital performance uh, in the United States, and we have a lot of SaaS investments. Um, you know m- more of that than anything else. And so, when we first met, um, I was actually introduced to you by one of your angel investors, which is an example of you know a guy I have lunch with every quarter. You know here in Austin, and I'm a transplant from San Francisco, so I was really excited to be uh, you know partnering with a successful local entrepreneur in his next you know big, big, big venture. Um, a little bit like you, we're a network-driven VC, so most of our money comes from um, our big checks from a small set of investors that are large corporations and family offices. But we then have a gazillion investments from smaller angels, like the one who's on your cap table that led me to you. So we believe in sourcing deals through a wide net of people, not just the big, super wealthy, multi-generational family. And we think that they can help with sourcing deals, uh, doing due diligence, uh, vetting deals is bringing in their unique domain expertise. All these different networks add up to a more powerful collective brain. And we truly believe, believe in that. And you've got to create opportunities to animate that network. And so we allow them to join Zooms, join meetings, you know, do spend a week with us if we're in New York or LA or whatever, and we get better outcomes with that. I also think the idea of me being on 25 or 37 board of directors is not good for you. It's not good for the lp it's not good for my kids it's just <laughs> stupid and yet that is the norm you know i won't say their names but he's getting off of 10 boards because he's joining another 10 boards and so i'd rather have somebody who really knows what he's doing take the board seat on our behalf and they 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 tell me all the information of should we keep putting more money in this one or not you know so it's just a better just a better outcome so maybe that's enough about us um so so Brendan, Maybe tell us about your background uh, and and what led you up to this, and maybe you know make sure we talk about Talent Rover and that experience, and then we're going to take a deep d- dive on place, and then get into the Salesforce stuff that I think a lot of people would like to know how to leverage Salesforce better than uh, you know who would know what what you already figured out.
0: Yeah. And and thanks for sharing context about your background as well. I mean, you know, the relationship with you guys have been, has been truly helpful, not just from a financial standpoint, which is one of the things I always look at from, from an investor standpoint is, you know, yeah, the check is important. Um, The relationship and all of the things outside of that is even more important. The Connections, the, the ability to have conversations and get advice and input that's frank and honest. And um, it's just immensely helpful, which is why I've always loved raising from, a variety of different sources. Um, so my background, uh, I started my career in financial services, got bored with that, stumbled into staffing and recruiting, um, did that for a little while, then, then thought there was a, a better way to leverage software to run staffing and recruiting companies. So I ended up building my first company, which is a company called Talent Rover, um, started building it in 2009. Um, I decided to build the software on Salesforce, which back in 2009, it was definitely the wild, wild west for building products on Salesforce and people thought I was nuts. You know, fast forward, scale talent Rover globally to nine offices, uh, literally around the world, um, customers in 40 countries. Um, our largest account was the ADECO Group, which at the time was the largest staffing firm in the world, which is funny. because me and my business partner when we were starting to set everything up we we made the joke of like, you know, one day we'll sell licenses to ADECO and we'll be on a yacht. Well, we sold license ah. to Gecko, And at that time we were not on a yacht. Um, we've been on a yacht since, but not at that time. Um, but, you know, it just went really, really well. We, we kind of figured out the lay of the land with uh, how to build a software company, how to scale a software company, um, you know, how do you leverage resources around the world, which I still do, um, especially our like engineering teams in India, which are phenomenal. Um, and then, Talent Rover ended up being pursued by our largest competitor, a company called Bullhorn. They started to pursue us in 2000, beginning of 2017. We, we officially agreed to sell the company at the, the week before Christmas in 2017. Uh, diligence and everything was done, and we officially completed the transaction in March of 2018. Um, so, you know, I look back at Talent Rover and it was like, That was really the best MBA, if you will, that you can get for how to scale a global software company. That company went from, you know, beginning to end in about seven years, uh, which was very, very fast to grow at the clip that we did. And we did some things right. We did a lot of things wrong, which is where a lot of my gray hair has came from. Um, But overall it was a phenomenal experience and and we delivered a lot for our investors and for ourselves. And, you know, after that, I, I was, Hesitant when Bullhorn acquired us to think that there would be a long term play there. So, one of the things we did during diligence was make sure um, we could leave anytime we wanted. Um, me and my co founder, he knew he wanted to be out. Um, I was going to give it the benefit so of the doubt. You guys didn't
1: have like a specified lockup, or you got to stick around for one year, two years. There was no earn out. There's no earn out. So, you got everything out uh, up front.
0: Yeah. I mean, there were some things that rolled over in the deal, but it wasn't based off of earnout. It was just based off of overall company performance. Um, But we, you know, we were in a really good position. Like the company was doing well. We were growing really fast in 2017. Talent Rover was the ninth fastest growing software company in America, according to Inc 500. So there was just a lot of movement and things. So, you know, I think Bullhorn really saw that and saw some of the clients we were winning, but they also saw we knew what we were doing in Salesforce. And I think they really bought us because they wanted the salesforce play so we had a lot of leverage we got a fantastic multiple and and um able to negotiate out th- negotiate out things which one of those things was look if i don't want to be here i don't want to be here um which you know shortly after the acquisition it was clear that it was not a long-term fit um so then i started to conceptualize what was next um and i just looked back at talent river and was like you know building this global software company, like what went well, where did we struggle? Where was the biggest pain? And it was just glaring, like, you know, with with that business, we ultimately raised about $28 million in investment, but it was a unique story because 25 of that really came from angel investors. Um, and then the rest came from the ADECO group. We managed to get them to invest when we won the global contract with them as well.
1: Which by the way, that's one of the things that, you know, I mean, I'll talk about why we invested, or, or wh- what was kind of our initial and secondary thinking of of wanting to you know put money into the company, but seeing that you've been successful at raising, you know that kind of money from angel investors combined with our VC network, I just thought, you know, we're going to be able to put this in front of VCs, and this guy knows how to raise from angels. Again, back to the number one cause of death is uh, you know betting on you to be able to raise capital for a business. Period. Yeah, I
0: mean, raising is, is hard. I mean, especially now today in today's economic landscape and, and where things are at just with fundraising in general, it's, it's a challenging environment, but deals are still happening, funds are still being made And, and by
1: the way, you, you seem to, as a founder, whether you're planning this or not, decide to launch your businesses in world-class recessions, <laughs> right? I mean, you said you launched the business in 2009, just because you said, you know, You know, this is like the Great Depression, the financial crisis. What else do you have (laughs) Did someone say lockdown? Let's get started now,
0: right? Exactly. It's not intentional. It's just all timing. But, you know, a (laughs) lot of really great companies, even Salesforce themselves, start at the worst possible time. And I I think what it does and certainly what it did at Place and what it did at, at Talent Rover, you have to think about where you spend all your money and why you spend your money. Like, you know, I've always... I like the VC community. Obviously you guys have invested. We also have another VC Geekdom Fund. That's our, has been our least. guys VC are great, yeah. My team, love those guys. Um, so with, with Place, I specifically wanted to bring VC into the mix. Um, and there was so, rationale. I also wanted to bring WeFunder community into the mix. So like the WeFunder round that we're doing right now or the amount of our current round, I should say that we're exposing to WeFunder. This is the second time WeFunder's community gets the opportunity to invest. And I think it's important. And I think, you know, the reason why it's like if you look at raising this money that we raised for talent Rover, um because it all came from angels we never really had a proper round structure right so it's kind of like always raising money um and what Mm. that meant is actually what led to the idea of place is like i need to be on top of my numbers i need to understand my numbers i need to understand my cash flow like you were talking about earlier i need to understand what's driving the business where all the money's being spent so that i can come up and quantify when do we need money, and why do we need money? And also, as I'm looking at the company and deciding what bets are we going to make, like, are we going to go into this area? Are we're going to try this, or we're going to try that. Blah blah blah. With Talent Rover, it was, hey, are we going to open an office in Hong Kong? Like, we literally had two offices in the San Francisco Bay Area, Chicago, London, Dublin, Hyderabad, India, Hong Kong, Sydney, Australia, and Tokyo, Japan. That was our global f- footprint. So for me, when we're, we're making decisions, it isn't like should we buy this office furniture? It's, should we put operations in Sydney, Australia? Should we put operations in Tokyo? What's gonna be the economic outcome from that? And can we afford it and how do we fund it? Um, At the same time, looking at when when that company started, we were selling to smaller organizations, which I think is normal. Well, quickly we started to get engaged with the ADECO Group, which is a 33,000, I think $24 billion global monster. Selling to that type of business is very, very different from selling to uh, a 20, 30 person staffing firm. Um, and it requires tremendous investment. So, you know, I had to get very good at bringing the investors on the journey with us as to what are we doing? Why do we need money? Where do we go? And a lot of that takes understanding of what's your revenue stream? How are you managing your revenue operations? Do you understand your cash flow and all of that? So, that initially. That, that was the thing that Place wanted to solve. I'm like, we spent so much time doing that in spreadsheets and, and constantly chasing our tail because I needed that data to be able to talk to the investors. It also though led to why with Place, I wanted to bring a VC in because the, the constant funding round, if you will, for Talent Rover just consumed a lot of my personal time that I wish yeah. I had that time to focus on actually building the business versus constantly fundraising. So with Place, it was like, okay, let's solve this problem and give the data and the understanding and the workflow to make that easier. But then from a st- funding standpoint, let's definitely still embrace the angels because you know, my angels at Talent Rover made a really, really good return. So you know, they came into Place, but I also wanted to bring in a VC and I selected Geekdom first um, back in 2019 to come in because I wanted to structure it a little bit more. I wanted it to be a little bit more of a formalized process to help me learn and grow um, how to think like a VC and how to have another capital stream coming in um, with professional investors that this is, you know, the bread and butter. And then we met in what, 2020, 2021, uh, when you came in um, and and help expand that. And then, you know, in 2000, I think it was 2021 as well, we decided to do a WeFunder round because I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was very clever to be able to go to market and give a larger community the ability to invest in very risky investments. I mean, everything for investing in startups is probably the most high risk thing you can do, um, but it's also the most rewarding. Like if you get one right, you can seven, 10, 15 X your return, which is very difficult to make in another market. So we wanted to leverage the WeFunder platform to expose it to maybe non-accredited investors who typically don't get a seat at the table um to to participate in all of this and it just works really well um so you know fast forward today we're doing another round really to fuel the growth for a lot of the cool initiatives that we'll talk about that is going on with the business today especially around salesforce and the partnership with them um so we decided to do a two million dollar round and carve out about i don't know 350 400 thousand of that for for the we funder community
1: that, that sounds about right, because you don't want to spend too much of your time on uh, small checks. And I think it's important for a company to raise around where you're not selling too much stock while it's cheap, because you know you're going to grow, but you want to give yourself a minimum 18-month runway in good times. And I want to talk about the headwinds that we're dealing with here. And so we have headwinds. This is not bull, bull, bull 2021. So I say extend to 24-month runway. And this means that you raise your money. You, you, you stop wasting your time with worthless roadkill VCs, and you focus on building that business, and you've got at least 12 months to do nothing but execute, knowing you've got at least 12 months in the bank. Normally, in good times, it takes four months to run a VC process. If Geekdom and, and 7BC make a list of like 200 VCs and we introduce you to the first 20, the next 20, the next 20, and hopefully the round closes in a collapsed period of time, but you know, four months is the minimum what you need. You don't want to be negotiating final terms with a week of payroll in the bank. So, you know, you typically would say minimum six months cash runway. We got to kick off a well-organized VC fundraising process. And in rough times, you might want to consider that to be six, seven, eight, nine months. So that's where I like the 24-month runway in rough times. And then Let's 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 grow revenue as much as possible. Let's build value as much as possible. And a year from now, when the stock is not so cheap, we can raise money at a higher valuation. And there's no shortage of VCs in the United States that want to invest in a great Austin-based SaaS company. Second time entrepreneur made money last time.
0: Yeah, it's also it's also looking at like the path. And I talk a lot about this to other founders that I mentor about how do you think about fundraising? And how do you think about valuation? And the question I always get is like, why do you raise money the way you raise money? Because not typical, like Talent Rover wasn't typical with All Angels, even places it's typical with the different types of, of funding elements that I've brought in. And I look at it in a few different ways. I look at it as what's gonna give me the most uh, ability to make sure that the company's always funded. Um and, and a lot of times it's a VC, especially when the VCs do follow-ons, which all the VCs have done follow-ons with us, with us, which has been great. Some of it's angels and getting angels to do follow-ons, but sort of like what you opened up the conversation with is one of the angels who has been phenomenally good um, to partner with here in Austin, introduced me to you and had belief in, the, in, in, in what we're doing and sort of like what you were saying about what you guys do at 7BC as far as extending your network. That's my exact approach to how I fund my companies. Is like, how can I get exposure to more people? But at the end of the day, what truly matters is what is going on with the companies. You can't fund your fundraise your way to success, in my opinion. There has to be some meat on the bones with what the company is doing and what the company is delivering. And we're moving from a world, or we have moved from a world, I think is a better way of saying it, of growth at all cost. Um, I still, yeah. I, I think. You know in seven nine months there's going to be a mentality in the venture world again where let's get back to growth at all costs um i've never been in that world i've always looked at let's grow as fast as we can but i can't run out of money so i'm not going to go and raise a five million dollar round when i don't have a reason for the five million dollars i need a reason for the five million dollars because i don't want to raise it and and have this false expectation that I'm gonna go now spend $5 million in 12 to 24 months and just to skyrocket sales and blow my expenses out. I think the world for SaaS companies has changed where growth is and will always be very, very important, but capital efficient growth is really important. And I think that's the strategic part with, with how I think about raising money is how much money do I need to your point to make sure that I can get through the tough times but also I wanna have the pressure on the operation of saying, guys, we need to go sell. We need to go win business. We need a healthy business because then raising money becomes a hell of a lot easier.
1: Yeah, I think, I think um, every business is different. I mean, like a semiconductor drug discovery, these guys just need money, need money. They don't make money for a long time, right? But if you're, you know, those aren't the kind of businesses that we fund. I think it's healthy if you could say, every time I raise money, with the mind of like a 24 month runway, this could be the last funding we raise. Like this could be a path to profitability. I'm going to come up with an, an, I'm going to come up with an operating plan or we're going to come up with an operating plan of what we're spending a month, what we're making a month, how much money we're burning. And with the funding we're raising now, how many months of life does that get? And can I, you know, get to unit economics that bring us up to profitability, even 12, 14 months from now, and if I want to raise money, I can. We'll see what that looks like. But I actually have—I can control my own destiny, and not get hooked on some like addictive drug of funding, and be you know own my own business and say no to people, or let them come at me. And other investors like me, who know endless numbers of VCs, can bring in more. But let's talk a little bit about the business. I think it's possible that someone's been listening to this entire episode and still doesn't really understand what RevOps is. And True. so I, let's do like a high level of what you do. Then I wanna go into leveraging Salesforce. And then I wanna go deep into what Place is doing. And then we'll talk about why we invested and you know, wh- where we see the opportunity you know, with the business at this stage. So you know, w- what does the company do?
0: Yeah, so in its simplest forms is we connect your sales or what we often call your revenue producing teams. We connect them and their data and their process to finance in their processes. And what that means is like, we, we call it sales to cash. Sometimes it's called order to cash, it could be called quote to cash. There's a bunch of buzzwords, but in the simplest form, like a deal starts and that deal could start with a net new customer just coming into your sales pipeline or it could start with an existing customer who's up for renewal. Deal starts, sales team goes and does its thing and you get the customer excited, know what products you're gonna sell and all of that. Sales wins the deal. Great, that's what I call a booking. Well, then what happens from there? How does that turn into, all right, how do we invoice for it? How do we then apply it to accounting? How do we do revenue recognition, which in the SaaS world is a very complicated
1: piece. Yeah, um, could you explain how complicated it is? I mean, I mean, I don't want to interrupt your thought, but we can come back to it. But uh, some civilians here might be thinking, what, What you sell a widget, you get paid for the widget. Not so in SaaS.
0: Yeah. so my world, we like to sell licenses to our product, right? And we like those licenses to be ongoing uh, for as long as possible. So I went a deal with a client and they want to buy 10 licenses. Great. Well, 10 licenses, they're a hundred bucks a month, you know, easy stuff. Not really. How are you going to invoice your client for that? In my world and what's common in SaaS is I want to invoice the customer for a full year in advance to use those licenses. So now they're gonna start using them. They're gonna get an invoice for me. They're gonna pay me for the invoice. And then I have to follow accounting rules to say when I can recognize that revenue over the course of the year to properly account for it according to Gap. Really easy if it's just 10 licenses, one deal. Well, what happens next month with that customer if they add five more licenses? And then next month after that, they add a hundred licenses. Well, the month after that- Or
1: they have a reduction in workforce.
0: Yeah, and they reduce purchases, and like you're constantly moving the number of what did they buy. Well, what happens if you have more than one product? What happens if you have services as well, like implementation costs and all of that? Um, now take that one customer and you know many different deals that you've won with them throughout the year, and many many different products that you've you've sold them, um, and times that by a hundred customers, times it by a thousand customers. Now all of a sudden you have this beast of a thing where. How do you manage your sales process to make sure you're pricing and selling correctly? How then are you taking these these deals and moving them to invoicing? The invoicing piece becomes interesting because if you're only just invoicing annually, okay, that's easy. What happens if you have some customers who you invoice annually? Some customers negotiate for quarterly invoices. Some customers negotiate for monthly invoices. Like how are you tracking this stuff each and every month to make sure what you've sold to your customer is what you're billing to your customer and what you're accounting for from the customer and collecting the cash on. That whole process is what we do. So we built this inside of Salesforce because for us, the whole sales engine is Salesforce. Well, Salesforce doesn't do revenue recognition. Um, Salesforce doesn't just connect to accounting systems, especially from a financial flow standpoint. Um, to do all of this in Salesforce, you have to customize it and spend a fortune paying third parties to build all this stuff for you. So we said, well what if we productize that? What if we give you a product that you can install that connects the dots that you can still tweak and change how you want? But out of the gate, like it's connected it ha- it does this whole process. It creates visibility and transparency across the organization. One of the other thing it does is it normalizes. The, the data, if you will. Meaning what your sales team is doing matches with what your finance team is doing. And what your finance team is doing matches with what your sales team is doing. So now you have a source of truth to understand really what's happening, but also, especially in times like this, an automation flow where a talent over doing this process, like I had a team of people that would just do this. And when you look at a team of people versus a software solution, there's some clearly economics in here at play that we, we can be beneficial in.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, one of our kind of first principle things we come back to every investment is, would I wanna quit my job and do sales for the startup? And, and and we ask ourselves that before we actually, you know, are making an investment. And sometimes you can sort of get caught up in all of the Silicon Valley excitement and about, about investing in a company. Ooh, Eric Schmidt is in the room. This is exciting. And then you're like, yeah, but I would hate to be selling this because, you know, it's expensive and you don't really need it. You could do it yourself. And then another question I like to ask is, is the amount of money this software company like Place Technology is asking their customers to pay, is that less or more than what it would cost to have a human do it inside the organization, right? So is the, um, the locomotive faster than the horse or is the, is the horse faster than the locomotive? And we're, we're kind of at a point in history where like, you know, we like to identify this needle in the haystack place technology startup that is developing software that is cheaper to pay for than it would cost to have a human do it. And guess what? The human is incapable of doing these things with perfection and continuously at all times in real time um to be able to get that and so i think that you start to see we are automating human workflows leveraging data and doing things that are cheaper than the human so it's just to win it's a yeah. must have and i'll give you three three real customer stories so it's not just my
0: opinion it's what we've seen so we've had one customer um one specific customer that you know came to us and they were trying to leverage technology to do this stuff. So they were using Salesforce as their CRM. They were using um, Stripe as their billing engine, and then they had this other third-party tool plugged in that was supposed to connect Salesforce into this billing engine. Um, and it was a mess. Like, so like the information in Salesforce wasn't matching to the Stripe, and what was in Stripe wasn't matching to QuickBooks, and you know companies were going. Yeah, and their customers were going to Stripe to do self sign up. Their sales team was tr- selling through through Salesforce, and supposedly they had this technology in place to connect it all. And then they had this team in place that was supposed to was an absolute mess. Long story short, they bought Place, we implemented it, and during the implementation, we always do a bit of an audit. We're like, okay, we want to make sure our numbers are matching up with your numbers and all of that. And we're like, hey, there's about fifty thousand dollars here that looks weird over the last twelve months. And we dug into it. We're like you should have invoiced this $50,000 to these customers and you didn't invoice it. They did an audit, they went through it. They're like, we would have never caught this 50 grand that these customers should have paid for and didn't because we never invoiced them because the technology they piecemeal together was supposed to do this, really didn't do it. And it's, it's one of the reasons why we're so focused on, we wanna do the whole flow of data. We wanna connect all the dots from this mindset. But another customer, um, who tried to solve this themselves by hiring consulting firms to come in and build this well they spent probably three hundred thousand dollars on these consulting firms piecing this all together and never really got it to work and bought us and all of a sudden the consulting firm they didn't need anymore the process flowed correctly because there's a big difference between buying software and building software and our customers get the advantage of all of our other customers' knowledge that we're leveraging in the product, but also we have a product roadmap, it's being enhanced. We're just focused on this one thing versus all these other things of running the business. The last um, example is a deal that's actually in flight right now, where this is like a $300 million company. Um, They have, they just bought Salesforce CPQ, setting that up because they have, I think they said it was like 30,000 product SKUs. So 30,000 product SKUs that they need to figure out, how do they bundle? How do they price? How do they put them on an order form and all of that? And then how do they eventually get that invoiced and into NetSuite? That whole process for them is just an absolute challenge because they're so big. These deals are so complex. They've got all these different moving pieces. So we're being put into, according to the CFO, get rid of the complexity. Like, how do I just simplify this? How do I put this all in one place um, to make this work? And that's really the exciting part of like the value we get to see our customers get when they actually look at how do I solve this problem, but how do I solve this problem in a meaningful way? Which is why for us putting this in Salesforce, which is we're unique. Um, We're the only product that's built on Salesforce that does all the things that we do. And I get a lot of questions from investors of like, well, how do you compete with, maxio which is our biggest competitor how do you compete with zora or how do you compete with chargeify and the answer is really easy is we're inside the same system that your revenue producing teams live and breathe in and we connect the dots to the finance teams so as your sales process changes as it gets more complicated as you grow we automatically adapt with that but we also then consistently give visibility and transparency to everyone in the company about what's going on where are you because that that $300 million company i was talking about their ceo what he was like he's like i can't get a revenue waterfall report i can't get basically to not use buzzwords i can't get the reports that explain to me what's happening in our revenue cycle without having to wait a month or two for accounting to go in and pull this information from all these systems and visualize it how fast can you get me that i'm like well that's just what the product does as you do stuff we visualize it
1: yeah, exactly. yeah. I had dinner last night with a friend of mine who does general counsel for like three or four startups at a time that are venture backed, and she was complaining about how horrible the salespeople were for uh, and I was listening to her and when she finally let me speak. I was like, look, this is like a Shakespearean, timeless thing you're dealing with. The sales guys want to say yes. They want to say yes to the customer. We can do that. We can make that. So engineering is going to have to deal with that or accounting is going to have to deal with that. and." it's all SaaS. There is no hardware. So it's not like so much engineering and that I thought of you because, um, you know, have the sales team comes back saying, good news, we've got it, but we've completely said yes to some complicated stuff. Uh, You know, it's like, we're going to need to to drag in place to be able to track this and make sure that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we don't run out of money. So let's talk a little bit about Salesforce. I think there's a lot of people. um, I remember when I wrote my book, uh, Masters of Corporate Venture Capital, in like 2016, we did a case setting on Salesforce ventures. And at the time that they launched their corporate venture capital business unit for Salesforce ventures, uh, they had four investment themes. And one was to fund companies that are building on force.com. So they wanted to like, it's kind of like having a fund to make apps for the iPhone when there were no apps. And, but you, you were in very early days. So, I mean, it's been 20 years. Um, you know you're still obviously very very focused on this so if it weren't working for you uh you wouldn't be going back there you know what's your experience been of working so closely with salesforce to build startups
0: you know it's funny because i've been in the salesforce ecosystem for 20 years and salesforce has been around for 25 years right uh, so wow. very very early days i started in the salesforce ecosystem as a customer um and started building companies on salesforce in 2009 so a little bit shorter the time frame but still what is that, like 15 years or so of building companies on Salesforce? Um, last week, I was in San Francisco for Dreamforce, or, and, and it was incredible. Like This whole year is about AI and what's happening with AI, but not AI for the sake of AI, which is why I think Salesforce is nailing this, but AI for really automating and making business efficient. Um, But if you look at Salesforce in general, I mean, it is a company that has just continued to deliver like their earnings or their, their revenue growth is just phenomenal. And they've made some really interesting and strategic acquisitions over the past several years, one of them being like Slack, which I think was a fundamentally awesome decision for them to make because now Slack is the communication hub for all of these companies that use Salesforce and you can do a lot in it. But Salesforce is constantly innovating and thinking And what they're constantly innovating and thinking about is how can their customers connect better with with their customers? Um, And really their their tagline now that they're tagging themselves as the customer company. How do you get all of the information about your customers? How can you communicate as effectively? How can you manage them? How can you deepen and build the relationships with them? So if you look at their suite of products and, and services that they offer, It's all based around what they call Salesforce Customer 360. How do I get this 360 view of my customer? When I I look at what we do at Place in that world is we fill a gap. We fill a gap of, well, how do you connect your customers' sales and revenue information with your financial information to make sure you have a holistic view? Meaning, like when you use our product, you can go and you can look at a customer and you can look at the SaaS metrics or any of the reporting metrics around it like what is the lifetime value of this customer how much have they spent what products have they bought at what price what's up for renewal how do i manage like all of that stuff so it's deeply connected with how i think about how we build relationships with our customers is like i want to know as much about you as i can so that i can help service you the best that i can so i can sell you the right things i can provide the right benefits um and i think that's the reason why Salesforce has been as successful as it's been. Um, it's exciting to see, you know, Salesforce focusing more on the smaller mid market clients now as well, because they've been focusing on what, do you,
1: what have you seen has changed? What, what has changed over this period of time? Because they, they're not standing still by any means. No, they don't stand
0: still. Um, you know, Salesforce were brought into enterprise. They actually started in SMB. They were brought into enterprise. Now they see the opportunity to help serve a small business as well. And they just rolled out some really cool, new, innovative products for them like that make it easy to turn on Salesforce and that make it all set up. So um, it, they're actually calling this portfolio suite Salesforce easy, very cleverly. Um, so you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You can just turn it on. And then The thing about Salesforce is as a business grows, so like a question I get asked a lot, is like, why don't you guys do this in HubSpot? I'm like, well, HubSpot's a great platform. We actually use HubSpot for marketing at my company, Um, but we use Salesforce as our CRM and our operating system. And my focus is, I think, especially technology companies eventually move to Salesforce. And the reason why they eventually move to Salesforce is because Salesforce offers such a, a flexible platform to develop your workflows and what makes your business special in a way that you can continue to enhance and evolve and grow the business. And typically where I see companies coming into Salesforce is around series A stage, and then they just grow from there and they stay. And now they get to add on all these cool new things to help them continue to build and enhance their business, which is where we get plugged in. So I look at the Salesforce play for us, it's like, this is a massive ecosystem. Like they they announced that, I think it's by 2025 or 2026, um, the Salesforce ecosystem will generate something like a little over 2.1 or 2.2 trillion dollars. So it is a massive, massive marketplace. So for me, looking at a company like Salesforce that gives me a platform I can develop on, radically enhance really quickly, they have the same core values we have, they they have gaps in their overall offerings that we can plug the holes in um, but they're really focused on delivering for the customer um, and being customer centric i mean that's just in our wheelhouse but then from an economic standpoint their growth in the size of audience that we get is huge and one of the things we're doing now at place is we're just rolling out a new product called place revenue for cpq when cpq is a very specific salesforce product where we're deepening our partnership with salesforce to have Salesforce bring us into their CPQ deals, which will help us fuel the business and grow faster because we do specific things that clients that are buying CPQ need solved, like revenue waterfall forecasting and deferred revenue and all of that stuff, and then connecting the ERP system. So for me, I have this massive ecosystem. We're filling a gap, that no one else is really filling it like we fill it, Yes, we started to fill it for SaaS companies and technology companies. Now with this partnership with CPQ and this new product, it's no longer just for tech and SaaS companies. It's for any company that uses CPQ. So all of a sudden my audience of who I can sell to is pretty much all of Salesforce now, which is really, really exciting, which is one of the reasons why we're doing the funding round that we're doing um, to give us more capital so that we can invest in sales and marketing And really drive the announcement of this new product, which is being announced within the next week or so, um, and drive sales and truly partner with Salesforce in a more meaningful way, which from an investment standpoint, if we get that right, will just skyrocket us.
1: Okay, and uh, um, we're kind of running out of time, so I just want to quickly ask, um, what is the impact Place is making for customers, like if, if someone has an organization that's now no longer just SaaS, they're running on on salesforce do you see that they're able to increase revenue because they realized they weren't invoicing in that one case that's like a real world case they're able to get rid of those consultants like like what what are the what are the bullet points of like saving money growing money having uh, business intelligence optics into their business
0: yeah i mean it's it's connecting the dots to get operational efficiency so you're eliminating all of the audit and reconciliation processes, but you're also making sure that it's accurate. You're not missing anything to your point about the client that we found the $50,000 in invoices. The other thing that it's doing is it's giving visibility and transparency across the organization about the relationships with their customers so they can actually understand who they are. Like for example, a renewal process. Back to that example I gave before about the one, we started with 10 licenses, we added 100, we had a blah, blah, blah. What happens when that client comes up for renewal? How do you actually know what products they have, and what you should be talking to them about renewing. We solve that whole thing. So eliminating operational challenges, but more so helping your sales and and revenue teams know what they're selling and how to sell it. And then of course, making finance happy and more efficient. So the numbers are right. So if you think about what that quantifies to, you have a lot of overhead around labor, you have a lot of risk around revenue leakage, missing revenue opportunities, not either billing correctly or not renewing correctly, which will results in not billing correctly, um, and then just visibility and
1: time wasted. We solve all that. Yeah, and you're not talking about this, but you know, one of the things about VCs is they're very pesty of liking to get their updates, and <laughs> um, you know, some founders are better at this than others. I think that um, I mean, I actually think you know, you know I mean, closing out of why we invested and why you think anyone should be investing in the company is that after you sold Talent Rover, you were advising some other startups, right? And you were, you were kind of bringing the Brandon Metcalf playbook of, look, son, you got to know how your numbers work in a business. If the CEO doesn't have her eye on the numbers, she's not being a good CEO. Let me like show you. So you're a little bit of like the consultative consultative guru on that. And then you said, I think I could scale and productize myself. I think you kind of like put yourself into zeros and ones and then productized it rather than I'm going to be limited on how many people I can consult to, you know, on it. And, you know, and it, you know it kind of t- took off from there. But um, in in maybe um, uh, I don't know how confidential um, I, I know what the roadmap is of, of what you're adding to it. So it's like you've got this, you've got this, you've got that, and you're adding things. Is that anything you'd wanna disclose now or do we kind of keep that under wraps? I mean, the big thing is this place revenue for CPQ. That's the hot, hottest,
0: cause it's about to launch. We have another version um, that is uh, place revenue for staffing and recruiting firms. That's my old wheelhouse. Um, so there is no product that we can find that does revenue forecasting in the way that we do it. Um, revenue recognition, connecting the billing and all of that for staffing and recruiting firms, which is a pretty massive market is what made Talent Rover successful. So we're a couple months away from that coming out. And then of course, with all the stuff that's going on with Salesforce, there's a lot of AI things. So both generative AI and predictive AI when it comes to managing revenue cycles and having conversations around billing and all that. So there's a lot of stuff that we're we're working on right now with that. So roadmap's exciting, um, but the primary focus right now is really crushing it with this new place revenue for CPQ product, which if we can even get 10%, of, of the traction coming from Salesforce that's out there, like
1: the, the company will just 10X. Right, right, in an Excel spreadsheet that turns into a very large business. I mean, so, so in closing out, I would say one of the things that excited us is that um, uh, we would be happy if every single one of our portfolio companies was using Place, and that when we ask the pesty questions of time to give us an update, they just push a button and we have confidence in uh, what the output is. You know, coming from place that when sales teams are getting creative with their customers and they come back, there's not a horrific "we can't do it" friction, um, and that these two things, you know, two sides of the business, you know, match up. Um, having a great product but no distribution strategy is not a hundred percent there. Um, you know, rather than build it and they will come. You know, when Nicholas and Giannis made Skype, they had already made a copycat of Kazaa which was, or no, Kazaa was their business, a copycat of Napster. So they had 11 million unique people coming to Kazaa every day to steal their music and software and stuff and movies. And that was the perfect crowd to say, why pay for telecom? And so, you know, everybody had a soft client on their laptop, including me at the time that they launched. What made them totally different from everybody else was that they had Kazaa. So I think that, you know, your experience of not only the Salesforce thing, but Going after talent and going after those kind of uh, executive search firms, you were kind of born to do that. So that gives me, you know, confidence that these forecasts are somewhat achievable. You know, it can become a business, good business. So, so you know, it's something that you know everyone in our world needs. Hearing that it's extends extending beyond SaaS is really I- exciting, and uh, you know, I-, I think we're on a on a natural continuum of humanity that we're going to automate. A lot of these annoying things, and one day the DMV will be done right through clear eye recognition, and you know, it, it, and it'll just work. And exactly. that I don't expect the DMV to, uh, you know, you know, tidy up anytime soon. But at least, at least, Blaze is doing that here. Um, you know, and last thing, and last thing, twenty-eight million for Talent Rover and that exit. Um, I, I say let's do better than the last one. You know, and move into that. So, Brendan, why don't you close out the episode and say. Uh, why should anyone invest in the company in this, you know, t- to f- to fill in the last bit of financing that you've carved out for essentially angel investors?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I just had a conversation with Mike Troy from Geekdom this week um, about where we're at, and what's going on. And, you know, he said it, I think, better than I could even say this, like this opportunity that we now have with a seat at the table with Salesforce when it comes to them bringing us into the deal and the value that we can help them deliver for their customers in such a meaningful way, in such a unique way that we're just getting into. Like we've been around and selling since like you brought up since 2020 and we've been listening a lot to customers. What do you want? Why do you need it? And all of that and taking what we learned from, you know, my experience learning from them and saying, here's what they really want, which is why we're excited to roll out this new, this new product, because, is what Salesforce is telling us customers wants, is what customers are telling us that they want, is what we understand that's needed, but we're just starting with it. So from an investor standpoint, like we've hopefully proven our ability to learn and adapt and have success and execute and all of that. Now, all of a sudden with expanding who we can sell to, deepening the relationship with Salesforce, better perfecting the the product to really match what companies are, are needing right now, to your point earlier in the call, Managing revenue is not an optional thing. Like this is life and death for a company. If you don't, if, if you miss fifty thousand dollars of invoicing over and over and over again, you are going to run out of money. Um, so let's fix that. So the the pieces have really aligned for us over the last twelve to eighteen months that we're now really ready to push. Which is why we're seeking the investment. Which is why I think it's a phenomenal time to come in.
1: Yeah, I think Place falls into the category of, and you know, you tell me if you know who whose mantra this is make something people want, build, talk to customers, and iterate. And that's like the YC model, right? I mean that's Paul Graham, you know. Yeah. You know, the, the good old days of Paul Graham. So you guys are clearly making something people want, you're talking to customers, you're building, and you're prioritizing what to roll out when. And I think it's exciting that it, it's not just like a point solution, but it, it extends. It extends. And that's naturally and then of course the distribution channel of Sports, but your background with the executive search business uh, brings like a lot of relationships that'll that'll bear. Well, listen, my friend, let's let's wrap it up here. Great to see you, and talk okay. to you real soon. Appreciate it. Thanks, you. Bye for now.